anymore. But he rose again. Amen. prosper and when the darkness falls it won't prevail cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph my God will never fail sing that again the weapon may be full but it won't prosper when the darkness falls, won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. And my God will never fail. Aren't you glad? That my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory.
thank you, Father, for the victory. The victory that you've given us. Oh, oh. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I Great is your faithfulness 
Jesus, you're still here. Keep me within your love, and my heart will sing your
I'm still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Make that declaration. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. it again. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet. Aren't you glad that he hasn't failed you yet? Aren't you glad that he's still king? Aren't you glad that he's still on the throne and that he isn't taken, taken by surprise and nothing is, is taken by surprise? He knows what's going on in your life and he hasn't forgotten you yet and he never will. Amen. Be close, close to your side so heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above singing as one. Hallelujah, holy, holy God Almighty, and the great I am who is worthy is none beside. to your heart the love of the world hate the dark I want to see tribals living again singing as one
this morning. morning the Holy Spirit these words came into my heart came into my spirit this morning he said hear the roar of heaven hear the roar of heaven I, I'll be honest I didn't quite understand what he was saying at that point but I've been it's been staying with me all morning long hear the roar of heaven when we began this song the Holy Spirit began to show me immediately the application thereof and he took me immediately to the book of Revelation chapter 5 and you can go in there and read it and, and, and the description there and the myriads of tens of thousands upon thousands upon thousands who lifted up their voice like the sound of many waters and they're singing like what we're singing holy holy Lord God Almighty I mean this is what they're singing but I said the Holy Spirit said but there's another roar there's another roar this morning there's an anointing for this right now and that's why I don't want them to get off this song right now immediately brought to mind in John chapter 11 when Jesus goes to the Lazarus he's received word that Lazarus is is dying of course we know what happened when he gets there he's already dead been dead for four days and, and uh, Jesus comes and stands before the tomb. Remember, he says, show me where you've laid him. Tells them to roll the stone away. He prays to the Father. He said, I pray that they might know that you hear me and that you answer. But then he, the next verse says that he stands before the tomb and it says, and Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And, and immediately as we're singing that song, as we begin that the Holy Spirit said, that's the roar this morning. That's the roar. There is an anointing to come forth. And, and he said, there are those who have come into this place this morning. There are those who have come in, they're battling depression. They're battling a heaviness, a weight on them that, is, that they can't even explain right now. And, it, and they're trying not to let anyone know, but it's there. And the Holy Spirit said, this is the time, this is the, there is a roar in the heavens. There is a word that has gone forth from heaven. And when Jesus stood before that tomb and he shouted, Lazarus, come forth. There was a roar that went through the kingdom of darkness. Because the man who was wrapped in grave clothes came out of the grave. There was a roar that went into the very depth of the earth and brought forth that which was dead and brought him back to life. 
And God is saying there's a roar in the heavens this morning for those in this place right now. You, you've been battling, I'm just going to say the way I sense it, you've been battling depression, oppression. I don't care what you want to put on it. There's a weight on you. It's like you can't see. It's, it's, it's just like darkness has come over you and, and, and your joy is gone. And the Lord said there's a roar in the heavens right now to set you free. And we're going to stop right now as they begin to worship. As the worship team goes back to this song, I want you to come forward if that's you right now. And we're going to pray for you right now. We're going to speak that roar over you right now to set you free. To set you free. Come on. Come on. You're carrying a weight. You don't. Give me some more volume here. I'm going hoarse already. You're carrying a weight that God never intended for you to carry. And you've tried. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. I'm saying that you've tried. You've tried. You've tried to unload it. You've tried. You've tried to think good thoughts. But I'm telling you, when the enemy comes in, it's like a spiritual wet blanket just falls on you. And no matter how hard you try to get out from under it, you can't get out. But when the anointing comes, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing of God that breaks the chain, the weight that the enemy has tried to put on you. And God said this morning, there's a roar. There's a roar in the heavens. And that roar is going down into the very depths of where you are. I want you to hear me. It's going down to the very depths of where you are. And Jesus is saying, come forth. Come forth in life. Come forth. Come forth out of that darkness. Come forth. Let that thing go. Take off those dead grave clothes. Come forth right now. Come on, brother. Come on. Come on. Let's come on. I want some prayer team people come up here. I want you to begin to pray right now. I want you to speak. I want you to speak. A thundering word. A thundering word right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, the rest of you, you worship. You lift your voice. You lift your voice before the throne of heaven right now. Holy, holy, holy. Come on. Let the sound of the heaven, the movie of heaven be heard in this place right now.
before you The demons run and flee At the mention of your name King of majesty There is no power in hell Or any who could stand Before the power and the presence of the great agreement I said there's authority in agreement there's there there's people in here today you have family members friends co co-laborers workers that you work with who are battling darkness of depression upon their lives right now let me see your hands raise them up high let me see look I want you to hold them up and look around look around hold them up high look at least 50% or more I get so angry when I see darkness winning but the Bible says that if if one 
If one can put a thousand to flight, then two can put three, two, ten thousand to flight, and a threefold cord. In other words, anything more than that is not easily broken. Can I tell you that when God's people will agree in the name of Jesus, and the word that they speak is united, there's not a power in hell. We're just saying it. There's not a devil in hell. Put that, put that slide back up. Where is it? Bridge. Where is it? It's in the bridge, right? There's not, no, the, the demons run and flee. There's no power in hell Amen. or any who can stand before the presence of the great Amen. I am. Amen. We're going to send a roar. And I know there's some people here you're, this is maybe your first time and you're probably thinking that preacher's nuts no we're just going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit because it's about Jesus it's about the kingdom message he came to set the captive free Amen. and if the church will agree in unity and declare in unity I believe the roar of heaven will go down into the very depth of the soul of those individuals that you've got your hands raised for. And we're going to come against that darkness in the soul and call them forth. Now I want you to think of this. When Lazarus came out, he was alive, but he was still wrapped in grave clothes. And what I'm telling you is somebody's got to speak into that darkness of the tomb, that darkness of the earth, and call them forth. And when you show up to work or you show up at family dinner or whatever, they may look the same, but God is pulling them out. And somebody has to take the grave clothes off. Somebody's got to go and take the grave clothes off. And you're that somebody. Look at your neighbor and go, you're that somebody. You're that somebody. So how many of you are ready to agree in Jesus' name for those individuals that you know that are bound in darkness, bound in the depth of their soul, and they're crying out, God, can you hear me? Is there a God who will rescue me? And the answer is yes. His name is Jesus. Jesus. So let's agree right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we come against the spirit of darkness that has wrapped itself around the mind and the heart and the soul of these individuals. Call their names out right now. Those of you who raised your hand, call their names out. Father, you hear their names. You already know who they are. But we call them out. And we tell the, the, in the kingdom of darkness, we, we let loose a roar. And we say, Jesus says, come forth. Amen. Come forth. Come forth. In the name of Jesus, we break the hold of depression. We break the hold of darkness over their soul. We break it down right now in Jesus' name. Come on, let's do that part again. Come on now, sing. Come on, sing. The mountains shake before you. 
fled but his people <laughs> his people stood they stood on his name they stood and received the blessing of the Lord how many of you are glad for the roar of the heavens this morning the roar of his name the roar of his name Jesus his name thunders. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. The Bible says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Let a voice of triumph be heard in this place this morning. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you, Father. We say, let your kingdom come and your will be yes, done in this place on earth as it is already in heaven. For your glory and your namesake, we, we pray. Amen and amen, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you just turn and greet three or four people. If you don't know somebody nearby, just introduce yourself for a moment. Praise the Lord. Hmm. I love it when Jesus shows up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let me just take a moment and welcome you this morning. If this is your first time here, well, just make yourself at home. You can tell we're not too formal about anything, but we are excited about Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And what he's doing and saying in the earth today. Let me just say that at the end of service, we will be serving communion. And uh, you do not have to be a member of Life Church to receive communion. You just have to be a member of the body of Christ. And so we invite you to stay at the end of service and receive communion. And let me just say thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Uh, you know, we, we don't pass an offering bag or box or whatever. Uh, round bucket or anything like that. We have two boxes on the back wall of the sanctuary. As you go out, you can drop your tithes and offerings in there. Uh, we have an app um, 
you can text to give. You can go on the website and give. I mean, there's so many different ways to give. It's, you, you could be in the back 40 somewhere and be able to give. So, you know, and, and we, thank, we thank you for that. But we don't, we don't plead and beg because, see, it's not my money. It's not the church. It's, it's the Lord's tithe. And we, we pay that tithe because that's what the Bible says. The first part is his. And so we, we do that. And then we also support missionaries here at, at home, missionaries around the world. And so um, you can put money in also for missions and designate it. And every penny of it goes to missions. So we thank you for that. Let me just say thank you for that. Because, because it's in God's word. And God's word doesn't lie. And he says, if you put him first, I heard a man many years ago say, the last thing we usually give to God is our pocketbook, and the first thing we take back is our pocketbook. And, and I've learned that that's true. Your wallet, your checkbook, or whatever, your debit card or credit card speaks volumes. And so we thank you for that, and God will bless you. You know, he will bless you as you give. So anyway... We're going to finish up a series I started uh, a few weeks ago. If you weren't awake, I hope you are now. <laughs> some of you, boy, I wish I could have had a picture of that. I was, you know, some, some in the back were, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that was fear or an excitement, you know, like, I'm not ready. Uh, I hope you are. And um, but Psalm 68, verses 1 through 3, says, Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, you drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so may the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be glad and let them rejoice before God, and let them rejoice how? Exceedingly. You know, some, I, I've, I've had people come before and they just said, I, I just think that y'all get a little too excited. And I'm like, well, if you think this is something, you're gonna, if you get to heaven, you're going to be out of place. I'm just telling you because this is just a drop in the bucket compared to what heaven is like. This is kind of just tuning up. For that and and it doesn't end in an hour or so you know it's going to go on and on and on so anyway let God arise we've talked about different parts of that when first we talked about that the call goes forth uh, in ancient Israel when they were in the wilderness coming out of the promised land into the, the uh, coming out of Egypt into the promised land whenever God would send forth the word that he was arising it meant God's people were getting ready to pack up and move because wherever God was, there was his provision. There was his blessing. There was his presence. And then we talked about the fact that when God leads, we took two weeks talking about that, that God is the one who leads. And that when we get in, when we get in front of God and we try to do the leading, it, there's nothing good that's ever going to come, come out of that. So now we're going to kind of come back and summarize this a little bit. This is what the whole Lord put on my heart about two weeks ago. And I've really been wanting to get to this part. <laughs> and so, uh, but in the Bible, Jesus at one time um, exited out of the land of Israel into Gentile territory into a place called Gadara. 
And I won't go into a lot of things about that, but if, you, you may have heard a story about a demon-possessed man who was so full of demons that the people in the nearby towns were fearful of him. They tried to bind him with chains, wrap him with chains, and he would literally break them off. And, and uh, I think it's interesting that secular news was reporting uh, the last two days about a priest who was involved in exorcism and um, uh, how they've seen an uptick in demonic activity. And, th and in a recent case, and they had a video of a woman who probably didn't weigh 85, 90 pounds who was demon-possessed and picked up two men twice her size and weight and threw them across the room. And they were making a big thing out of that. And I said, well, that's the way demons are. And, th and when a person totally possesses somebody like that. But Jesus goes into the land of Gadara, and this demon-possessed man, it says he, he, he broke the chains, he, he ran, he lived among the tombs. He, why, why did he live among the tombs? Because demons, they love death. That's their whole mission, death. Jesus said, I've come to bring life. The kingdom of darkness is all about death. So he lived among the tombs, and he, they couldn't keep clothes on him. He ran around naked. And, and so people would skirt that territory, try and stay away from him. And when Jesus comes to shore, when he comes across and he lands on that side, this demon-possessed man comes running up to him and cries out and says, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torture us. I think that's interesting that, that the people didn't even, they, they didn't even know what to do with this man. But these demons said they knew who he was. They knew he was the son of the most high God. And he said, do not come, tor don't come torture us. One, one gospel says, do not come and torture us or before our time. In other words, they know they're, they're working on borrowed time. They're living, these demons are operating on borrowed time. They know there's a final judgment that is going to come. That's what they're all about. They're, out, they're about to carry out the, the decree of the kingdom of darkness because their time is short, okay? I want you to understand something. The enemies of God are never happy when Jesus shows up in their territory, okay? They're never happy about that. Now here's the problem, here's the key. And that is that the church of Jesus Christ is called to be the representative of Christ here on earth. That's what we're called to be. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. But stay in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes upon you and then you go out and in my name, as representatives, you are ambassadors for me. You go out through the earth and declare the gospel as I have taught it to you, as you have seen it demonstrated. He said, that's what your purpose is. That is the goal of the church. That is the mission. And we have a formal declaration. We call it the Great Commission. 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the good news. What's the good news? That people in darkness can be brought out of darkness. People who are dead can be brought to life in Jesus Christ. Those who are demon-possessed can be set free and delivered. Those who are bound in iniquities can be brought forth and set free. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but that's what it is. That is the that is the commission, that is the mission of what the church is all about. And we are to be his representatives. We are to operate in his name for the glory of his name. We have been building too long kingdoms under men. And I'm telling you, that roar that's in the heavens is shaking the very foundation of the earth right now. And I believe even shaking the very foundation of that which has been built and said to be his church. Because the Bible says that he is, he is going to judge the whole earth, but he'll start with his church. And so much has been done supposedly in his name, and he's had nothing to do with it. I heard somebody one time describe revival, true revival, is that God has heard so much declared in his name that's not of him that he's gonna step down to earth and set the record straight. I said, come on down, God. Come on down. Bring revival to the earth. Well, guess how he's gonna do it? Through his church. That's how he does it, the work of the church. See, here's the deal. Jesus is in heaven representing us before the Father, right? He ascended into heaven. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father. He serves as the high priest for his church, for his people. So he's representing us in heaven right now, and he put us here on the earth to represent him on the earth and his message, his gospel on the earth. So every move of God, every movement of God, it, is, is a movement that goes into the enemy's camp. And when God begins to move, and we say, let God arise and his enemies be scattered, what we're saying is let the presence of God arise and those who threat, who are opposed to him, let them be threatened. I don't know if you see yourself as a threatening force. I'd say the majority of you don't. Just from conversations I've had with people over years, they see, the, they see the kingdom of darkness more as a threat than themselves. I want you to turn that around because if you are saved by the grace of God, in the name of Jesus, by his blood, the spirit of God dwells in you. The Bible says greater is he who is within you than he who is in the world. That means you become a threatening force. A couple of weeks ago as we dismissed, I said, Father, I release them now, uh, these people in Jesus' name on an unsuspecting world. <laughs> I never prayed that before. I've been praying that every day since. God, when your people leave home this morning, I loose them on an unsuspecting world. When you show up at work, you're, you're a force to be reckoned with. Now, don't go in there cocky and just, you know, walk into the bosses over, and I want you to know I'm a force to be reckoned with. 
Yeah, you'll be a force to be reckoned with with a pink slip in your hand. That's what you'll be. But I'm talking about spiritual matters. At any moment, the Holy Spirit who lives inside you is going to guide you and direct you and lead you in the, ma in the manner that he wants because you are a reckoning force. Psalm 68 and 1, we read it. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. We talked about this. The, word, the Hebrew word for enemies is adversary. How many of you know what adversity is? How many of you have had some adversity this week? Yeah, okay. That, that's exactly what the word means. The devil, Satan, and his kingdom is the ad adversary of God and God's church. It automatically happens that way. I've had people who gave their life to Christ, and the next week you see them, and they come and say, I don't know what's happened. All hell has broke loose. I said, that's exactly what happened. You, you know more than most people do. Well, why did that happen? Because you, you were once in the kingdom of darkness. Now you're in the kingdom of light. And all of a sudden, you become a force to be reckoned with. The problem is, you don't even realize it yet. And you don't have to attain some spiritual uh, uh, level of whatever, because it's not you, it's the one in you, the name of, it's the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. It's in his name. I can't get a sick cat healed in my name. I'm just telling you but you can raise the dead in Jesus' name. Now, no work in the kingdom of God ever progresses without a challenge by the adversary. Just mark it down. The minute you say, here I am, God, use me, there's a challenge coming. There's just going to be a challenge. You know, when I was a kid, I've used this illustration before, probably not today because it wouldn't be politically correct, but on, on the playground when we were kids, we'd draw a line. Dare you to step across that line. And if they hesitated, you had them. Because then you go, huh, a double dog dare you step across that line. So when you've been double dogged, I mean, that's like, the epitome of being dared, you know? I mean, and well, they were like, well, 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 then you better get on the way and, you know, and you step across the line, they're back off, they're taking off running. I'm just telling you, the enemy, anytime God begins to move, the enemy's not gonna just sit back and roll over and play dead. So we should not think it's strange when just the opposite happens when all of hell breaks loose. Here's what I've found is that many Christians, even those who profess to be spirit-filled, born again, Pentecostal, glory, you know, charismatic Christian, they overemphasize the devil. I was, past, I think it was Pastor Elliot, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? We were just talking about it. I remember years ago when, when deliverance ministry all of a sudden came to the forefront in the early days of the charismatic move. 
and you couldn't go to a church service or any meeting where they didn't spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes rebuking every demon, everything they could think of, every power of darkness, whatever, from the pulpit for 15, 20, 25 minutes. I mean, before the preacher would get up. And one day I was sitting there, my pastor was doing it, and I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with this picture? I said, for 20 minutes, all we're talking about is the devil. We're giving him all the glory. I went to my pastor afterwards. He said, no, the Bible says we're to take authority over it. I said, well, we could do that anywhere. Let's do that in the back office or the back room back there, and let's get together in the name of Jesus and just take authority over it, and we pray for an open heaven over that place and put warring angels on the property, and that's when I began praying like that. But I said, I I refuse to stand up here and spend 15 minutes or more of my preaching time of the gospel of Jesus and give glory to the adversary. And I think the reason is they, is because they're so fearful of the, of the kingdom of darkness. Christians will spend more time, get this, they'll spend more time resisting the devil than responding to Jesus. I'll never forget, I was at a youth camp in Tennessee years ago. I was, a, I was in the business world, I was in the restaurant business, but I, I worked with the youth in, in, in the church in my town in Tennessee. And uh, I had about 65, 70 kids at camp that, that week. And uh, the director came and got me and he said, we've got two or three boys who've snuck out and we can't find them, they're on the campground somewhere. And you're talking about 100 something acres. And we thought for a minute, where would they go? I said, where is their food? I said, let's go to the snack shack. Sure enough, we got over there. I said, there's either three bears or three teenage boys in that thing. I mean, they were going through stuff, boxes, this and that, hooping and hollering. You could hear rappers coming off and everything like that. And the director of the camp, he was ready to go barging in there. I said, no, let's have some fun with this. I said, let's let them gorge themselves for a while. They're going to they're gonna come out. I said, let's just wait for them. I said, after a while, I said, let's wait for them right over there in the shadow of that building because there was another building right next to the snack shack, and where the light was, it, it, it came across, so you could take one step, you were fully seen, one step, and I couldn't tell you were there for anything. I said, let's just wait. I said, we, we could see the door when they come out. So we did. They were, they were like teenagers, they couldn't wait. They were eating and filling their pockets. We didn't wait five, six minutes. And that door came out, and they're just, they think they got the world on a string, boy. You know, they just, whoo. And we waited, and they're walking right towards us. Because we said we knew what dorm they were in. I said, they're going to have to go right past us. I'm literally, Brother Bobby, like, you're, you're them, 
and that shadow's coming across here. And I'm, we're standing right there, three of us. They don't see us. They don't know we're there. And when they get about that far away, hi, boys. I'm telling you, I, I do believe one had an accident. And I can tell you pockets flew out. I mean, like, like there's the evidence all around them. Like it didn't rain snicker bars from heaven, you know. I mean, really. And, 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 and they were like, oh, oh, oh. I said, don't even go there. Because we stood outside and listened to your conversation for 20 minutes. You know, I'm like, don't even go there. Y'all are in trouble. Come on. Put their heads down. Followed us back. Now, why did I tell you that story? Because I just told you, most Christians will spend hours resisting devils when they, what they need to do is spend the same amount of time responding to Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And, and when I came home, I was telling that story to the pastor of our church. And it dawned on me right then and there. It's like the Holy Spirit said, what does the scripture say? He said, he, he talks about Psalms 91, in the shadow of the Almighty. He said, when you stand in the shadow of the Almighty, when you get that close that you're in the shadow of the Almighty, the enemy be looking all around. He looking, 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 looking. He can't even see you. He don't even know that you're there. He has no clue because you're hid in the shadow of the Almighty. God said, told me as a, as a young man in my early 20s, he said, he said, if you'll spend as much time coming to me, responding to me, drawing near to me, you'll spend a whole lot less time resisting temptation and resisting the devil. Because you'll be hid in my shadow. That's what he wants us to do. You know, I mean, look, Satan is already defeated. Your job is not to defeat Satan. Your job is to proclaim the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God. When I was in Bible college, I've told this story before, but many of you have never heard it. I was in Bible college and I had an, a room that was on the end of the dorm. Most of the dorms were two beds. Ours had three, so we had a bunk bed. And, and the three guys in that room, all, all last names began with a Z. So we had a big Z on the door. The Zs live here, you know. And so I was up on the top bunk because I was kind of used to that. I liked, I'd rather be on the top bunk than the bottom bunk anyway. So I was on the top bunk and I was studying one day. All of a sudden the door kicked in, boom. And I look over and one of my, the dorm mates from down the hall walking in like he's a six-gun shooter out of an old Western. He said, have you seen the devil? I'm looking for him. And I remember going, He ain't here. Well, if you see him, tell him I'm looking for him. And he walks out like that, goes to the door across the hall, kicks it in. Have you seen the devil? I thought, how stupid is that? I said, there ain't nowhere in the Bible where it says you go around looking for the devil. You know what I found out? Is if, you, if you go after God, the devil will come find you. I mean, 
You start causing him problems, he's going to have your number. He's going to come find you. But guess what? You don't have anything to fear because of the name of Jesus. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. The, the psalmist says, as, as the smoke is driven away or blown away with the wind, so shall your enemies be like that. In 1 John 1, 5, it says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. Say, God is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. What happens when light comes into a dark room? Darkness flees, and it flees at 186,000 miles per second because that's how fast light travels. So darkness runs just that fast. It's dispelled, and, and here's the thing. The darkness or the ratio of darkness is dispelled by the intensity of the light. Okay, if we turned all the lights out in here, darkened all the windows and everything, and flipped a match, you'd see light. This whole room full of darkness couldn't dispel the light of that match. But the intensity of the, dark, of the light disperses in a ratio the darkness. So Jesus says, you don't take your light and hide it under a bushel. You put it out in the open. In fact, you don't just need one light. You need two, three, four, five. You hear what I'm saying? I'm just saying, here's the, here's the thing. The answer to darkness is not to fight it, but to light it. I'm just telling you, let God arise. Let God arise. See, we get up in the morning, we go, oh, this day. Jesus, I come to you in Jesus' name. I, 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 I rebuke the devil. I rebuke the enemy. I rebuke this. I rebuke this. I rebuke this. I rebuke this. Listen, you have the authority to take authority. You have the right and the authority to rebuke the enemy. But the Bible says, draw near to God. Draw nigh to God. Then resist the devil, and then it, then it comes back again and talks about drawing near to God. There's a two-to-one ratio there in the book of James. Twice it talks about coming towards God, one time rebuking the enemy. We got it backwards. Most of the time we're rebuking the devil and just drawing a little bit to God. If we flip that on its head for one week, I'm telling you, by next Sunday, your life would be flipped upside down. Darkness is fundamentally the absence of light. So how, it's easy to say, you know, that little saying that I just said, that, you, know, you know, don't fight it, you know, but light it. How do we do that? Well, here's the thing. We're, we're here not so much to engage the enemy in confrontation. There's a time and a place for that. But what we are to do is to expose the kingdom of darkness, to the presence of God. That, that, that is like, get so filled with God. Get so filled with the presence of Jesus. Get so filled with the word of the Lord. Get so filled with the spirit of God that when you walk into a room of darkness, the demonic becomes aware that you're in the room. I remember years ago, I heard a preacher preach a message. 
Is your name known in hell? That bothered me for about a month. Brother, I went on a fast, serious fast before God. And I said, I don't know if it is, but by the time I get done, it's going to be known. Why? So I can brag? No. In other words, I, I want when you walk into a place, everywhere Jesus went. I heard a theologian the other day say this, that when Jesus came on the earth, demons manifested more than they do today because he was present. But when he left, the demons quit manifesting. I'm, I'm sitting there going listening to this guy, and if I told you who it was, some of you would be shocked. I was like, say what? I said, the demons left because Jesus left? No, he was one with the Father, but he gave a commission to a church and said, you go in my name and cast out devils. Somebody said, well, why don't we see more of that? Oh, because we welcomed them into our church. And we've made them feel comfortable. And, and we, we've, we've, we've put pet names on them. Yeah. I mean, we'd rather diagnose it as some psychological condition or issue or whatever. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm, there's a place for everything. I am not saying anyone who has, you know, psychological issues has got a deem. I'm not saying that. But we would rather just give it a, a, a disease name or something like that and give them a pill and drug them up with something so that it does. And everywhere Jesus went, demons spoke out. And I've been reading it and reading it and reading. He'd go into the synagogue and sometimes before he could even read from the scriptures, they would manifest and begin speaking out to somebody in church. And I said, Lord, why, why, that happened in your day. I don't see that happening a lot today. But you know what? There are places where in the world where the power of God has become released so strong that they have things set up with, for, with tens of thousands of people showing up and they have hundreds of people or thousands even ready because when the man or someone gets up on the platform with crusades of thousands and says, in the name of Jesus, we bind every spirit, every hindering spirit in this place, people begin manifesting demonic presence all over the place and people carry them out to a tent of deliverance and they minister to them and cast the demons out. I'm telling you, it's happening. And I've, I've said, look, I've seen it happen a few times here. I've seen it happen a few times where we've ministered before. I said, but Lord, I said, I want, I want Life Church to have a reputation in the kingdom of darkness. Don't go there. You will get exposed. You know why? Because the light of God's word. I said, the light of God's word will light the place up. You can't hide in shadows when the light's on. Come on now. Some of you need to think about that. <laughs> the problem is, in the church today as a whole, there's been too much compromise. And when there's compromise, 
our life. We want to live our lives with one foot over here in the world and, and with our attitudes and our goals and our dreams and everything. And then we say, but then we want to have over here all to Jesus, I surrender. Well, you can't surrender to Jesus with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the darkness. You just can't do it. And if the church is going to be the representative of Jesus Christ on planet earth, then there's going to have to be a holy baptism of fire. In Psalm 68 and 2, look what it says. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Now here's the thing. When we read that, we go, oh yeah. Lord, let your light come and let the wicked perish. But you know what? There's a verse in the, script, in the scripture that tells us the reason that God withholds revival. And it's not the wicked, uh, the, peri- the, the wicked in the world. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. See, when we, when we read that, we think that somehow that doesn't apply to us. That, that let, yes, Lord, let your fire come and let the wicked perish. Well, let me show you what happens when the fire of God comes into the church, okay? Because here's what we need to understand is that the, scriptures, the scripture goes on and tells us that our God is a consuming fire. And if you think, I heard somebody one time say, look, when, when the Holy Spirit came in the upper room, how did he come? He didn't come as a dove. The only time we see the Holy Spirit come down from heaven as a dove is when John, Jesus came out of the water at his water baptism and the dove came and settled on him. And the voice from heaven was, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But when the Holy Spirit came on the church in the upper room, he didn't come as a dove. How did he come? Fire. Fire. <laughs> Why? Because fire is... Is a ref- it's part of who God is. He comes to refine us, the work that he's doing in us, because there needs to be a work or a working for us to be able to carry out the mission of God, because we are called to be his representatives, okay? So when the fire of God comes, the presence of God comes, guess what happens? The first thing that happens is God's presence, God's fire, God's working burns up flesh. And I'm not talking about the skin on your hand. I'm talking about the works of the flesh. I'm talking about the works of it. The fire of God has no favorites either. Fire comes, fire burns. It burns the same. I mean, it just is. Ego, pride, they cannot exist with the fire of God, the presence of God. As long as ego and pride are in the way, God's not moving. God's not coming. He's going on someplace else. Why? Because he says, I'm not going to share my glory with anyone. The second thing about the fire of God is that God's presence purifies and refines us. It purifies and refines us. When I, was a, when I was a kid in the Cub Scouts, I lived in Massachusetts, 
And we went to a place called Sturbridge Village. It's still there. It's just changed a little bit. But when I was a kid, it was set up to be a representation of what it was like in the 1600s, early 1600s, when the Puritans came to America. And now it's, they've updated it to like the 1800s. I guess 1800s is still old, but you know, it's, not the, it's not the same thing. But anyway, uh, I remember going there. And we, would, we watched them make candles. We watched them make soap. We watched them, how they did everything. They were dressed in, the, you know, the garb of the day. They did everything. The whole, the whole town was done that way. We saw the blacksmith. We saw all that kind of stuff. But the guy that fascinated me the most was the silversmith. And when I went there, he was making pewter um, eating utensils, like forks and knives and spoons and stuff. He was making it out of pewter. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And, and if you've seen it, then you know what I'm talking about. But this is done with silver. It's done with gold and, 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 and precious metals of different kinds. But he, 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 would, he had an open fire, and he had like a smelter that was from like the 1600 type of thing where it would heat up that metal till it was liquid. And then it had a little drain off to the side. And I watched, and every once in a while I'd see, I'd see stuff go over the top. And I remember, and he'd sit there with his foot, and he'd fan that fire. He'd fan a little pump and, and, and get that fire a little hotter, a little hotter, a little hotter. And then he would wait, and as it, it boiled, I mean literally boiled. We had like five minutes to watch. I spent like 30 minutes there. I got in trouble because you're, you're not supposed to stay with the group. But I was so fascinated. I had to watch this. And so finally, I, was, I asked him, I said, what's that junk that's going off the side? He said, junk. I said, no, 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 what is it? He goes, it's impurities. Well, in my little nine-year-old, eight-year-old head, I didn't understand impurities. He said, there's impurities in the metal, but you don't know it's there until it gets hot enough. And when it gets hot enough, it separates, and it will float to the top. And, and that little drain thing, it, they will eventually, he said, I can spoon it across. I can cause a little wake to go across, whatever. He said, and those impurities will flow off so that what's left, he said, is pure. And I remember he took that, that big ladle thing that he had that was all, he dipped down into it and he poured it into a, a mold of a, like a soup spoon. And then he took it and he put it over, he took the mold and then he put it off to the side and put it in water and instantly popped out this spoon. I was like, dude, that's magic. That's incredible. You know, to a little boy's brain, it was incredible. And he picks it up and he's turning it around. He's scraping off a little, and, and, and he took a file and file, but he looked, he said, nope, that won't do. I said, what won't do? And he said, watch this. And he took that spoon, put it halfway down for a second. When he pulled it out, the top half of the spoon was gone. Dude, my Lord, brain, my brain was like, where'd it go? He said, it's back in the pot. I said, well, it flowed out. He said, it's pure liquid. I said, what? He said, I said, why'd you do it? You ruined it. He said, nope, there was an imperfection in there. And he dropped the whole spoon back in. And he said, it needs to be hotter. And he pumped, pump, pump. And sure a while, a little bit later, more impurities came to the top and it went off to the side. He said, well, you don't want a spoon that's got imp 
imperfections in it. I will never forget that. Because in the book of Malachi, it says God's priests will be those that go through a refiner's fire. See, that's what he was doing. He was refining that metal he was working with. And God says, we will pass through that fire. He said, here's the problem. Most people think of pastors or preachers or whatever, that they're against everything. I'm not against everything. I'm just for God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost and the mission and the purpose of heaven here on earth. It's not about the thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. I grew up in that. And I had no concept of God. The first time I sat down to study the Bible and I read in the scripture that God is not against me, he is for me, that flipped me on my head. Because I've been told all my life, you step out of line, God will get you. You make up one more wrong step, God will get you. Every time I, something happened to me, it was reinforced by parents or at school or wherever. That's God getting you. It's God getting you. It's God doing it. Because you did this, God did this. You did this, God did this. It blew my mind to find out God was for me. And, 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 and sometimes what we, what we need to understand is that it's not that God, it's not that we're not to talk about sin. But it's not about pointing it out and then leaving you stuck with it. It's pointing it out and telling you Jesus wants to save you from it. He wants to deliver it from it. He wants to remove it out of your life so it's gone. That's what he wants to do. He wants, he wants, to, he wants to conform us to his image in, his, in thought in word, in deed, he wants to transform us. He wants, he, he, he doesn't want us just to know right from wrong. It's like when my kids were growing up and I'd go to my son and I'd say, why did you do that? I don't know. Did you know it was wrong? Yes. Then why did you do it? I don't know. I'm like, but you knew it was wrong. Yes. But you did it anyway. Yes. Why? I don't know. I mean, you can't rational, there's no rationalization with that. That's insanity, I mean, right? But that's the way all our Christians are. I know it was wrong, but I did it anyway. I know it was wrong, but I did it anyway. God wants to remove that stuff out of your life, and when he removes it, he doesn't want us just to know right from wrong. He wants us to live right and turn our back on wrong. And he can do that when we say, let the fire of God come, let the presence of God come in my life because he's going to stick us back in the pot and he's going to fan the flame a little bit more and the fire is going to get a little bit hotter and you're going to say, but I don't know if I can take anymore. He said, do you want to look like me? Do you want to be a reflection of me? Do you want to be a representative of me? Then the fire has got to get a little bit hotter. He wants to enable us to be able to live what we say we believe. Another thing is that when God's fire comes, it is totally consuming. 
totally consuming. First Kings 18.38 is the story of Elijah and the false prophets, and they build two altars. And one is the false prophets, and one is Elijah's. And Elijah says, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go beyond what y'all did. Y'all put wood around the thing, and your God was supposed to send fire. He didn't do it. I put wood around mine. Then I took buckets of water and we poured it over the offering. We wet the wood. Then we dug a trench. We filled it up with water. And he said, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And when it came, Elijah's turn after the other people had 850 false prophets, had an all-day event and couldn't get their God to answer. And Elijah says, God, you're the God who answers by fire. Do it now. And a fire came from heaven. And the Bible says it not only burned up the sacrifice, it burned up all the wood. It burned up the stone uh, altar that it was on. It burned up the earth. It lapped up all the water. It burned up the ground all around. I'm telling you, when God's fire comes on you, your life, it will be totally consuming. And you're not going to put up a firewall and say, God, come and burn in my life. But this area is off limits. No, 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 no. Because when he comes, he's coming in all of his power, all of who he is. And you're not going to have a part of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a holy ghost. He doesn't come in pieces. Fourth thing is the presence of God will change your heart. The revelation of God literally just changes us. You see things different. You understand things different. You see them from a heavenly standard. You cease to be your own. Your passions somehow no longer seem appropriate anymore. You're consumed with the passions of God. The fifth thing is the fire of God his presence multiplies. And this is why this is so important. Because fire by nature spreads. I learned that as a little boy. I will never forget living in Hampton, New Hampshire. There was two vacant lots next to the house across the street from us. We were, we were on the end of the, near the end of the street, but there was two vacant lots over there. And I remember one spring day, it was a beautiful spring day. It was sunny, it was cool, you know, but it was nice outside. And I got my first magnifying glass. Man. And then... I learned that you could take a magnifying glass and put it at a certain angle, and that sun would be magnified to a point, and smoke. So I thought when I was a kid, I'm going to kill all these little bugs over here. Oh, you bug lovers, forgive me. But I said, I don't like them ants either. Let's see what they do. Boom, I lit an ant pile on fire. I said, <laughs> that's funny. You know, you know, I'm a kid, right? So I'm lighting stuff on fire, but wasn't paying attention. I was just lighting stuff on fire, moving over here, moving over here, moving over to here. But over here on this pile, there was a spark still. And a little puff of spring wind caught that thing. And that dry grass that hadn't turned green yet because the snow had just recently melted, caught fire. And I'm way over here lighting stuff on fire with my magnifying glass, and all of a sudden I see smoke out of my peripheral vision. And the field is on fire. <laughs> I, I, I got that magnifying glass behind my back. Uh, fire! 
And I remember running into my house. Mama, 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 call the fire department. There's a fire. How'd it start? I don't know. There's a fire. Just get a fire. Get the fire truck here. Get the fire truck, you know. About the time the neighbor comes out and they just built their house, right? And it's on the lot next to where they just built. And that whole lot's just going up in flames and it's moving towards their house. Can I tell you, it didn't skip a, a place. It consumed a line of fire and it just kept moving and moving. But the line got bigger and bigger and the fire got taller and taller. And I was out there yelling, fire, 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 as if my yelling was going to do something about the fire. I'm telling you from personal experience what I learned. I learned in the first grade that fire multiplies. Everything it touches, it turns to fire. I mean, it just consumes it. It reproduces itself. Fire begets fire. I'm just telling you. And here's what happens. Is that when the fire of God comes in our life, it makes us more like him. Because it wants to reproduce him. He wants to be seen in our lives. When you go to the restaurant after church in a few minutes, you say, well, Pastor, you're going to let us out so we can go eat? Yeah, I'm going to let you out. But when you go, guess what? The fire of God in you is there to multiply. It's there to reproduce. It's there when that person comes to you and they look like they're having a hard time. You look at them and the Holy Ghost says, pray with them. Pray with them. Well, Lord, I don't even know him. Well, tell him your name. He said, hi, my name's Bob. You, you look like you're having a rough day. You don't know the half of it. Can I pray for you? You know, most people will say yes. I'm telling you, most people will say yes. But they think that you're going to do that when you go home. What, what you do right there is say, come on, let me take, let me take your hand right now. In the name of Jesus. Get their name and you just begin to pray. And let the fire of God, this fire of God go into their life. They may not even know Jesus, but when they walk away, they're going to they're gonna be like those on the road to Damascus. They didn't even know who he was that when Jesus was walking with them. And then all of a sudden he disappeared. And they looked at one another and said, did our hearts not burn within us as we walked with him? God, let your church become fire starters. I'm going to close. Brother Justin, if you'll come. There was a time in the critical point of Moses' life in the Exodus where God had given all kinds of promises to the people of Israel, but God had had enough of their wishy-washiness, if I can put it that way, their sin. And he finally just said, I'm, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going with you across. All, all the promises, everything is there, but I'm not going with you. And Moses makes a statement. He had, he had a theological issue he had to settle right then. And at that moment, in Exodus 33, verse 15 and 16, it says, Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go up with us, do not send us up from here. For how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And Moses becomes desperate at that point because he says there's no promise, there's no blessing, there's no title, there's no position, there's no amount of land. There is nothing that you can promise me 
that is worth your presence in my life. And if I was to put that in the modern vernacular of the day, Moses was saying, God, I'm not interested in being a leader of or being a part of a church that may have Christ in the name, may be called Christian, but does not have your presence and your power and the glory of the living God. That's what he was saying. And that is God's call to us today. When we hear, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. What we should ask is, are we willing to let God arise in our own lives? Are we allow, allowing him to come and let his fire, his presence, work his work in our lives? To take out the impurities, take out all the things that don't belong there and and change us, transform us into His image and likeness so that the representation of who He is is the genuine representation on earth of who He is. People are confused because the church says one thing, but they live another way. God wants us to get in line with His Word, get in line with His mission, and say, let my presence, let my spirit come upon you. And I'm just going to ask you right now, if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor Bob, I want the Holy Spirit in, in, in full measure. I want him to come and work his work in my life without reservation, without any, any ands, ifs, or buts, no escape clauses, no exclusion clauses or anything. But we're just saying, Jesus, send the fire of your presence into my life and do your work as you need to do. I'm just going to ask you all over this place, would you just stand to your feet right now? If you're ready to do that. If you're not, don't stand. Because God takes good notes. I say God takes good notes. And he, he, he's, he's about to loose the fire of His Spirit upon your life. And when He does, He's not going to skip over anything. There's no off-limit signs that he's going to obey. In fact, usually the place that you put the off-limit sign is the first place he's going to go. I'm just telling you, that's just the way it is. Father, right now, all across this place, you see those that are standing. And they're saying, Father, here I am. You send the fire and I'll, I'll be the fuel for that fire. I'll, I'll be the sacrifice of that fire right now. Holy Spirit. You don't have to understand all that that's going to mean. He's going to meet you right where you're at. But he's going to lead you from where you are to a whole new level. Holy Spirit, right now, all across this place, you see every person who's standing and they're, they're saying, come, send your fire, send your fire, send your fire, Lord. Can you say that with me right now? Send your fire, Lord. Send your fire, Lord. Send your fire. 
Let your fire come from heaven. Let your presence come in my life and do a work that only you can do, Lord God. Send your fire, Lord, as you did in the upper room. Send your fire. Send your fire. Send your fire, Lord. Jesus, this day and this hour, set your church afire. Set your church on fire. A force to be reckoned with, a light in the darkness. Let the roar of heaven be heard in the depths of the kingdom of darkness. There's people standing up in Life Church this morning and they're saying, Lord Jesus, send your fire on my life. Woo! Send your fire. Send your fire, Lord. Mighty God. Oh, mighty God. Even now, right now, even now, God's showing you things you need to repent of. He's showing you things that he's been convicting you of and you've been pushing it off to the side. All through this message, the fanning of the flame of the Spirit has been moving on your heart. And now is the time to say, God, I, I let it go. I repent. It's gone. Be gone from me because all I want is you, Jesus. All I want is you, Jesus. All I want is you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Send the fire. Send the fire. Send the fire, Lord. God, we bless you. We praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Come on, church. I know what time it is. Come on. Send you fire. There's a cry going across this place. Send your fire. Send your fire. Send Lord. your fire. Send your fire. Jesus. Send your fire. We want the fire. Send the Lord. Open the heavens. Come on, church. Pour come your on. fire. Come on. 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 Let your spirit of fire. Holy Ghost the fire. Holy Ghost presence. Send come your in fire. Down Oh, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Purify. Purifies. With your fire, yes, Jesus, mighty God, purifies, purifies with your fire, purifies, purifies with your fire. Send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. Even now, 
He's removing out of your life things that cravings that you've had, desires that you've had. You're going to notice in the days ahead suddenly that that which you had become a part of your life, you no longer have a desire for. He's removing it even now. Now I'm going to tell you, anytime you remove something, something must go back in its place. There's a void created. God's even now creating void. He's removing things in your life, things that you've been trying to conquer, things that you've been trying to overcome. He's removing them, supernaturally removing them out of your life. But you've got to fill it back in with Him. You've got to fill it back in with the Word. You've got to get the Word in you, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. And then the Spirit has something to work with because he will never go contrary to his word. Jesus, Father, we thank you for the baptism of fire upon your church this day. And we say, let God arise and let everything else be scattered and let the righteous exceedingly rejoice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers, those that are helping this morning to serve communion, if you'll come and let's, let's start right now. Why don't you take a moment and just be seated, those of you that are here that want to take part in communion. It'll be easier probably to pass the emblems up and down the aisles if you're seated. The Bible talks about the fact that before we receive communion, we ought to take a few moments to just search our hearts. And if God hasn't already done that, well, then you need to take a little more time. But go ahead and do that.